This is the Trauma Recovery Resilience Podcast, and this is for you if you are interested in compassion, connection, and relationships, and how we can all work together, creating services that do not add to harm, but rather seek to support recovery from it. I'm your host, Lisa Cherry, and this is your time to sit back and listen in on conversations that make a difference. Good morning, Sarah Dove. Welcome. Thank you very much. Hello. Hello. Lovely to have you with me. And I'm so excited to talk to you today because uh, for our listeners this week, Sarah has worked in alternative provision. She's a qualified teacher. She's worked in alternative provision for 18 years, uh, the last 15 of which you have been leading in that area. And you're now currently a consultant and do some teaching. But there's loads of other exciting things that are related to alternative provision um, that you can tell everybody about. I do um, lots of different things at the moment. So I'm the project manager for the, a Department of Education Innovation Fund for Alternative Provision. Um, some of you might have seen the little AV1 robot that sits on a desk um, when children are too poorly to attend school. Um, so I'm project manager for that um, and I work with Great Ormond Street Hospital, Manchester Hospital and lots of alternative provisions and crews in between. Um, I'm also the head um, of behaviour and inclusion in the London Borough, um, working to support young people in reducing exclusions um, across the local authority. Um, I'm also a researcher, um, so I'm finishing my PhD, which was exploring young people's experiences of APs and PRUs, um, so lots of issues um, that come from that. Um, and I teach and I do other little bits as, as time allows, really. So you're really, really quite plugged into what's going on um, around alternative provision. And my interest in speaking to you kind of stemmed from um lots of negative press around alternative provisions and proofs which we're accustomed to this this is this is definitely the narrative around um ap's um but then the backlash of that of lots of alternative provisions and proofs going hang on a minute we actually run these really really good provisions for young people and then this kind of begged the question of okay are we now looking at potentially a two-tier education system was my kind of cynical way of thinking. Are we now saying that those provisions are going to be so good that they will actually end up being where children that mainstream schools don't want to have because it affects their, um, uh, their results, their outcomes, etc. that they will just start to then um, use alternative provisions and, and, and adopt the narrative, oh, because they're really, really good. So there was all sorts of things going on in my mind, thinking about how that can be manipulated um, to the detriment of children and young people, actually, rather than for the benefit. I mean, what's going on out there, Sarah? I think when I first started 18 years ago, I worked on the work-related learning courses that colleges had. So it was children that were struggling in mainstream um, schools they were at the verge of exclusion or excluded and it was things like motor vehicles construction hair and beauty and so on and the college was allowed to employ unqualified teachers and I always said at the time actually these children need the best these children have been let down they've struggled they found things really difficult they might have special needs um, 
that the schools were for whatever reason ill-equipped to deal with and actually my thoughts haven't changed over the last 18 years that children still need the best educators now how when we talk about the Timpson review and how do schools take accountability for the children rather than pushing them to the side in alternative provision I do wonder about the flexibility of mainstream schools and how they build flex into the system to allow young people who don't fit within the bell curve of the middle being supported um, it's perhaps easier to manage children who you might see as gifted and talented on one side but how do we manage children that are disaffected have struggled aren't attending and I think mainstream schools have evolved over time to be the answer to everything but actually the reality is mainstream schools in secondary school have hundreds and hundreds of children how do you provide an individualized approach for children that might have significant needs and i think that's really difficult and it's how we learn from each other um, actually we have amazing teachers in mainstream we have amazing leaders in mainstream amazing inclusive practices in mainstream as well just like we do in alternative provision but sometimes the two don't meet with each other yeah and and i guess that's that's part of this idea that I have around radical multi-agency um, working, isn't it? You know, how do you get people communicating with each other really well? How do we make sure that those services, those schools are the best and are providing the best? I mean, I wholeheartedly um, agree with you. Uh, and interestingly, I, I was in two alternative provisions myself as a young person who had been um, excluded from school, one of which was basically... In a, in a room with a couple of other people on a computer. Okay, it was the 80s. We did things differently then. Um, and, and the other was part of a residential unit that had education on site. Uh, and I use the term education loosely. And I think the challenge is that when a child is excluded from school and comes out of the mainstream system is leaving the education system without those really important qualifications. And, and I often talk about the fact that you know it wasn't really a massive issue back then because you just lied <laughs> you know you just said yeah I got maths English physics biology chemistry chemistry advanced you know you just kind of said whatever you needed to say no one ever asked no one ever checked um, I learned how to speak in a in a manner that suggested I might well have um, those particular O-levels. Um, but it wasn't until I did my master's that um, I then had to go and do bloody GCSEs, you know, to go and have these pieces of paper. And, and this really kind of um, sat, sat with me about, it doesn't matter how robust, how much of a survivor, how tenacious a young person is, at the end of the day, you've got to have those pieces of paper because you will be asked for them. So there is a duty in alternative provision to make sure that those basic maths and English um, are provided. And I guess that's the challenge, isn't it? Where you have children who have so many other things that they're grappling with and dealing with, while at the same time uh, supporting what we might call educational resilience, which is having those pieces of paper. I think it's a really interesting thing around the value of different subject areas and what is the value of certain subjects above and beyond others. And again, it's around the flex in the system. So 
absolutely English and maths are important and we shouldn't be writing children off and going oh because of these additional needs or because of their current circumstances we're just going to focus on this because actually it doesn't prepare them for the future world of work where they'll have to be able to xyz but when we don't have a flexibility in our approach um, in our curriculum in our timetabling in our relationships and it becomes really problematic so when I was doing my research in an alternative provision um, I spoke to the young people directly about what they found helpful in contrast from mainstream school and AP. And one of the children said, you know, they know they have to do science. They've got science they've got to do. But actually, there were pockets of choice where they could go, actually, I really want to focus on this. Um, and it was coursework that was built over time. And they were still covering lots of different um, areas of science. But there was a, um, a kind of cross-curricular um, approach which meant that they could link ideas as well it's incredibly odd I think in in the education system where we go and now we're going to talk about English this is our subject area but actually English isn't English when we read poetry from other cultures actually what we're looking at is politics we're looking at history we're looking at sociology but yet we call it English and we look at the poetry and we go oh there's alliteration here and it suggests this now we, we might have a framework that we have to work within and go, these children need these core skills, but we package it in a way where actually children only focus on that moment in English. Whereas if we had a more flexible approach where we went and had a theme, I think that would be a better way of children engaging with their education system. Um, I went to a conference the other day and I'm terrible and I can't remember what the name of the school is. And they were working with children an alternative provision and that's exactly the approach they took that young people chose a topic area that they might focus on and they still covered the core skills but it became it made sense to them and if you think about work when I go to work I don't say actually for this hour I'm only going to use it, this part of my knowledge it's not how we as humans work either no and I mean what you're describing is a complete and utter fundamental overhaul of the way that education is viewed um, but in the meantime you know what are we going to you know how are we going to bridge this spectrum that we're operating in that runs from zero tolerance at one end all the way through to relational policies rather than behavioral ones at the other end um, that incorporate that can provide more of that flex um, you know what where are we at with that? I mean, to me, it feels like such a massive spectrum um, and a very polarised discussion. And I'm just wondering, you know, how we're going to come out of this. I think on Twitter, um, which I'm generally quite prolific on at the moment, I think we're stuck with the fact that we can only use a certain amount of characters to explain our political perspective. And that's really dangerous as well, because what we look at is I'm going to say something really quickly really concisely and really succinctly in order for the audience to understand my positioning but actually our positioning shifts and change so I talk about flexibility but actually sometimes I am very structured and no this is the way that we're going to go and that's because I've built a relationship with a young person where I can get to understand them better so one of the things that I've been speaking about with the zero tolerance approach is I don't think it's helpful in the majority of cases but actually, for some children, it might be really boundaried and really supportive for them. Well, then let's use it. And that's really important. Um, and one of the things that um, I've asked, and not, 
there's lots of conversations around um, the behaviours are Tom Bennett and around the divisive conversations. Now, I've never met Tom Bennett. Um, I don't really know his work, but actually when I read his longer articles, I think, well, actually, some of that makes sense to me. And I'm sure if he read my blogs, he might go, well, some of that makes sense to me. And I think we need to have more joined up thinking. So rather than having spatters on Twitter where we get into arguments, we get into frustrations that we go, let me, let me watch, let me see what you do. Let's have a conversation like we're doing now. Let's have an open mind about this where actually we can learn from one another. We're not going to agree totally. You and I um, are not going to agree on everything. But I think if we come from the starting position where we want the best for children um, and how is that enacted in our practice, that's what becomes really important. Um, and I think as well, we need to take risks. So yes, I'm a professional. Am I an expert? I don't know. I've got a lot to learn from other people. If I can be vulnerable around my expertise and go, let me learn from someone else, then I think that's a really powerful position to be in. I don't know everything. I can't know everything. But what I can do is draw on the different resources that I have for the children that I work with. And that's why I go to conferences. I chat to different people. Um, and that's why we're having a conversation today, because actually let's learn from one another rather than putting up the barriers and talk about zero tolerance and flex. But actually we probably meet a lot in the middle as well. Yeah. And I love that because I mean, first of all, I love uh, the notion of vulnerability. I think it's so important to, to have that willingness and that openness to be clear about what we don't know. Um, and I wholeheartedly agree in terms of having conversations. But the problem is, is I've, I offer so many times to have conversations and I suggest I'll come and meet you. Uh, you know, let's hang out. Let's have a conversation. And you know, what happens is, is, is I'm not met with the same openness and vulnerability that I offer um, because I literally don't feel precious about anything. I'm really comfortable with what I don't know. Uh, and I'm comfortable with what I think I do know and you know I mean maybe I should ask Tom to come and do this but you know my hunch is that he wouldn't have a conversation with me that I wouldn't meet whatever it is that you need to, to meet in terms of the great hierarchy of who it's worthy to have a conversation with and that's such a shame and that's why I really wanted to do this these conversations because um, you know I wanted to bring real people who are doing work and you know there is no great hierarchy actually um we are all contributing in our own unique and beautiful ways at trying to create change so it's lovely to hear you talk about that so do you think i should ask tom if he would come and have a chat with me absolutely you should always ask because if you don't ask you're not going to get so always ask always take risks and i think it's around how we present ourselves online as well as as professionals. So one of the things that I'm, I've been doing, and I hope parents have responded to this as well, is that actually my identity as an education consultant, as a teacher or, or whatever, again, it shifts and change. So um, I mentioned in a private message to you that um, I'm going to be a nurse in inverted commas later because I'm going to be looking after my partner. Um, and, you know, on Monday, I'm back to being a mum because my daughter's going to be with me. But also, I've got Tourette's syndrome. And, you know, and sometimes I'm a patient when I'm very poorly and very unwell with clinical depression and things like this. And I hold all these hats. 
at the same time and actually my experiences make me who I am so you spoke about your experiences of um being in care education and residential um actually when I was at school um you know, I had a very difficult background, a very challenging background in terms of my own upbringing. Um, and I was the first person in my family to get a GCSE and finish school successfully. Like, that's incredible. That's amazing. And my, my grandmother, um, I was on Sky News the other day. My grandmother was so happy and so excited. And when your grandmother is 90 and she's excited about you being on the news, that's an amazing feeling. But actually, this doesn't come naturally to me. I'm not a person who's lots of family have gone on to different educational settings, have done their degrees and things like this. So it's been very exploratory. And I suppose from that perspective, I can take risks. And I talk to the children I work with as well. You know, you can do anything. And it takes hard work. But for me, education set me free. And that's why education is really important to me. Because without an education, my life would be very, very different. Mm. So education has opened doorways for me and it's because of the relationships I had with teachers um, I have an amazing teacher um, sociology teacher when I was younger at A level and he really believed in me and that meant I went to go and do sociology and criminology and it's someone that I still talk to now um, the relationship I had with him when he trusted me and opened my eyes to a bigger world was was amazing um, and I've met different individuals um, throughout my career that have opened my eyes to things and have been really kind. Um, and I hope that when I work with children that they might see me in the same light, but also that other professionals go, actually, you know, Sarah Duff doesn't know everything and that's okay. And she asks questions. I want to ask questions. Um, yeah, I mean, there isn't a piece of <laughs> research anywhere that doesn't, that isn't clear about the, 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 the powerful impact that relationships uh, can can have between teacher and pupil and yet there is still some kind of narrative about relationships not being central to teaching uh, which is interesting because there is nothing that says I mean learning is relationship based learning can only come from a relationship because otherwise I'm not interested in what you have to say actually if we don't have any kind of connection or relationship or well, you can't see me if you can't see me, then we don't have anything. So what do you think is going to happen with um, alternative provision now? What do you think in this climate? Uh, now we've had the exclusion review, um, which is very clear and is no surprise to any of us that the, 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 the nature of the children who are predominantly excluded. This is not news to any of us who've worked in this for years, but it's in black and white. It's in writing now and it's, it's in the public domain. Where now? Where do we go from here? What's going to happen and how are APs responding to this? I think there's obviously a larger political climate at the moment in terms of Brexit, leadership and all those sorts of things. So I wonder how slow this process might be whilst there's more of an international focus. So that's one thing. So I'm wondering how much will be enacted. <clears throat> when I met with Damien Hines a few, well, it must have been a couple of months ago now, he was quite keen about saying actually APs do amazing work. And I think that's why I was invited to the Violence Summit at Downing Street. It was actually about saying, there are really good practices. Um, I think there's going to be a crackdown on non-registered AP. Now, 
I won't work with non-registered APs or PRUs, um, APs, unless it's about registering them. That would be slightly different. And not because I don't think they might do amazing work, but because I don't know. And because I don't know about their policies and practices. So one thing is I think is really important is actually, and will probably be the next step, is around a focus on registering those provisions. I think also there's going to be closer collaboration, which is already happening in a lot of places around mainstream schools and APs and PRUs. Um, because there's going to be a different mix around accountability. Um, I do wonder with that accountability, is it going to shift the focus on mainstream schools to say, actually, you need to more have more academic rigor, um, irrespective. So are they going, are mainstream schools going to make more demands on APs and PRUs around what their offer is? And I think that's going to be uncomfortable. And I think that's going to be interesting. Um, and it's about how we share that dialogue. I think there's also going to be a big focus on what works for behaviour and what we mean by behaviour and where does behaviour stem from. Now, what I would like to see is a real clear approach around early intervention. Now, whether or not we're going to look at early intervention in terms of more APs for primary school children at a lower level rather than waiting for the 15, 16 year old children are really struggling, I don't know. And I think that's going to take years and years to manifest itself. I do hope, because obviously we've got the consultation around character resilience, um, I wonder about how that's going to be enacted on both sides, mainstream, PRUs and APs. I think that's going to be difficult because what do we understand by good character is going to be different. Um, and how do we build that culture within our schools? Um, I'm... I tweeted the other day, I'm not a big fan about the idea of resilience because actually, yes, children do need to be resilient, but actually wouldn't it be nice if we made the world a better place? Um, I might be seen as incredibly resilient from my childhood, but actually it would have been better for me to not have experienced that trauma. That would have been a better model. Now, again, that's going to take 20, 30 years of a, what you said, that kind of radical multi-agency approach. That's not going to happen in isolation, just fixed within education. Um, I think there's going to, I think there has to be a fundamental shift as well with um, clinical commission groups around uh, mental health and children, because at the moment there is too much onus on educators in schools to access services outside, which actually we know that 30% of children with a need are being seen. So 70% of children with a need are not being seen. And that's disgusting. And that's not okay. Actually, we need to be looking at how do these children with a massive need get the support that they require. Um, so these are all kind of some of the challenges that we're facing. And if we talk about education from a perspective of a silo and just education we're missing the point we need to look at what systems are in place within our social system education prison service youth offending teams um, local authority everyone together go actually what do we want our picture to look like how do we get to that stage where are our shared discourses um build towards that but whilst also going actually and now we have children right here right now that we have failed we have failed and how do we support them and also how do we bring parents into that narrative so today there's the SEN crisis march 
you know, how, how those parents who have gone through fundamental difficulties and challenges with their children, how their needs being met and how are their children today being met whilst we build a better future for the children? Yeah, radical, radical multi-agency working described in a nutshell. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you're absolutely right. I think that and that's one of the reasons why I absolutely love the fact that I work across every single sector, because the first thing we have to do is have a shared narrative. We have to build better relationships. We have to, I mean, um, uh, Liz, who did the CAMS uh, podcast with me, talks about what they've done with uh, their department in terms of getting people around the table. And you know what? It's about putting aside the ego. And that's the whole point about where, what, what part of the hierarchy are we sitting in in terms of who we will engage with and who we won't. That, that fundamentally has to be the biggest shift. Um, in terms of putting aside ego and actually really heartily placing children and young people at the core and at the centre of what we do and really putting our money where our mouth is. So Sarah, it's been great speaking to you today. I've really enjoyed it. Um, do you have any last point that you really want to make before you sign off? I think just to say, I think collaboration is the key and to move us away move us away from divisive discourse I think is really important it's how we can come together um, that's what I'd like to see fabulous thank you so much you've been amazing it's been lovely talking to you and um, I will undoubtedly see you on Twitter <laughs> thank you take care bye you've been listening to the trauma recovery resilience podcast with me your host, Lisa Cherry, brought to you straight from the heart of the knowledge that high quality relationships are the cornerstone of learning, healing and growing. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing or reviewing. Until next time.